The first introduction I'll do is my wife, Dr. Narelle Biederman. So we've been married for 25 years. Uh, Narelle's actually an accomplished university academic. Uh, we met uh, after she'd just joined the army as a nursing officer at uh, Kapuka in Wagga. Um, and uh, we've been together uh, for the 25 years. Narelle's been a distinguished academic at uh, James Cook University and Federation University. She earned a doctorate in philosophy uh, from JCU and the topic was about the experiences of Australian Army nurses who served in the Vietnam War. Narelle's written two books about military history. One is Tears on My Pillow uh, about the experiences of the Australian Army nurses who served in the Vietnam War. And the other one, which I'll read the quote from and which Lieutenant Colonel Tilbrook was intimately involved in is Modern Military Heroes. There's a, a flyer if you would like to uh, explore the book further. Uh, so Narelle currently coordinates a postgraduate program at uh, James Cook University's School of Nursing Science. Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Stephen Tilbrook, we've been good comrades uh, throughout our time in the battalion. I followed his career, so Steve was a platoon commander in Bravo Company 24 RAR. He was a lieutenant with us in uh, Wagga. He came to our wedding. Uh, as a captain, his most notable uh, appointment, he was ADC to the Governor-General, uh, Sir Peter Cosgrove. And uh, as a major company commander in 2RER, as a Lieutenant Colonel, CEO of uh, Second 30 Training Group in Malaysia, and uh, the J7 at uh, 1DIV DJFHQ. Uh, currently, Steve's serving with the Defence Cooperation Program in Papua New Guinea, and uh, they've just had uh, COVID issues themselves, just like we have in Townsville. The reason we're here doing the interview as part of Three Brigades Leadership and uh, Ethics Conference on behalf of the Cove is to talk about uh, what happened in Rwanda in 1995, the actions for which Steve was awarded the Medal of Gallantry. I'd like to read the uh, citation for Steve's Medal of Gallantry. Lieutenant Thomas Stephen Tilbrook is cited for the Medal, of Medal for Gallantry for his acts of gallantry while commanding the Infantry Protection Force at Kabayo, Rwanda, during the massacre of civilian refugees in April 1995. As the Infantry Protection Commander, Lieutenant Tilbrook was responsible for the security and protection of the Australian Medical Support Force at Cabayo. This responsibility included the disposition, deployment and coordination of the infantry force, the coordination and tasking of support for the medical team and liaison and negotiation with the Rwandan Patriotic Army Forces. The fighting that erupted on 22nd of April placed the Australian Medical Support Force under intense pressure and immediate physical danger. The camp population made two attempts to escape from Cabayo. 
The first attempt occurred at 1100 hours and resulted in the death of approximately 130 people. The second attempted escape occurred at 1710 hours and resulted in the deaths of thousands of people and an overwhelming number of casualties. Throughout the entire crisis, Lieutenant Tilbrook displayed outstanding leadership and personal courage. His decisive leadership, clear orders, consistently accurate assessment of the situation and personal example maintained the security of the medical team, allowed the evacuation of humanitarian workers and more than 500 casualties and ensured that the medical team could continue to operate throughout the entire period of the crisis. On a number of occasions on the 22nd of April, Lieutenant Tilbrook led his team into the camp to evacuate the wounded, often while small arms fire was impacting around them. When advised that three humanitarian workers were separated and alone in one of the camp buildings, Lieutenant Tilbrook immediately led a small team to rescue them, again while firing was continuing. On the morning of the 23rd of April, Rwandan Patriotic Army troops began a sweep of the hospital in the camp with the intent of clearing the hospital. Lieutenant Tilbrook was able to negotiate successfully the evacuation from the hospital of non-walking casualties who otherwise would have been forced from the hospital regardless of their wounds. Lieutenant Tilbrook's acts of gallantry and leadership were crucial to the success of the Australian Medical Support Forces operation at Kabayo. That success has reinforced and enhanced the reputation of the Australian Medical Support Force, the Australian Defence Force and his country. His personal courage, leadership and dedication to duty were in the finest traditions of the Royal Australian Infantry Corps. With that, I'll hand over to Narelle to uh, commence the interview with Steve. So let's start firstly with what led you to RMC in the beginning? That citation that, that Tom just read out, uh, it's one I haven't read through for a long time and, and, it, and it sort of hits home again about some of the themes that I'll be hopefully being able to reinforce today. But um, I want to start up front by saying that if it had been my choice, uh, every one of the Australian soldiers who were at Cabello on that day would have been decorated. And, and I certainly, I wear that decoration uh, with a lot of pride, uh, but I wear it on behalf of the whole team that was there. So it's, um, it, it is a team game and, and, uh, and, and certainly in the room there, there's, there's one uh, very close mate that I consider a close mate who can, who can vouch for the good work that was done across the board. So, sorry, back, back to you, Narelle. I just wanted to add that up front, please. So let's talk about in the early years before you went, what did you go to RMC? What were you looking for? Uh, so uh, I had actually, it's a bit of a long story. I've got a, a military um, family. So I'd always had an interest in, in, the, in the military. Uh, my grandfather had served in the Second War. My, my father uh, had, had uh, served as a police officer. Um, and it, it was always something I was very interested in. Uh, I had applied um, earlier to go to the Defence Force Academy and actually received a, a scholarship to do that. Um, but, but my social activities and, uh, and, and rugby uh, probably got in the way of that a little bit. And, and I ended up going to university in Brisbane for a year and a bit before I joined, joined at RMC. Uh, I worked out pretty quick once I was at uni um, that, that 
you know, I knew where I wanted to be and that was to be in the military. And, and uh, I, I ended up reapplying to go to Duntroon uh, straight out of uh, that location and, and, and fortunately was accepted. So I'd say it's probably something that, you know, it's hard to describe it, but all of those that, of us that serve, you know, you have that, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult to describe what it is, but there's a drive in you. And I, I guess I had that all along. So yeah, it was bound to be perhaps. Sure. After RMC, let's talk a little bit about that posting, that first posting that you had from RMC. Where did you go and what were your first thoughts in, in that posting? Uh, so as, as, as Tom sort of opened up about there, and by the way, he probably owes me more than the one that I took from him, but uh, I, I, uh, I, 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 was, I was fortunate enough to be allocated to, to, to the Infantry Corps, which was my first choice. Uh, it's where I wanted to go, and 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 then on top of that, I was lucky enough to be to to be allocated to the second fourth battalion, which at the time uh, was part of the operational deployment force, and then later the uh, RDF, which was the rapid deployment force. For for those of you that um, haven't been around in the system as as long as some of us, uh, in those days, three brigade was the high readiness element of the Australian Army, the line line element, uh, and uh, yeah, we were kept at very short. Uh, levels of, of notice for, for move to, to react to and respond to, to any uh, requirements of the government. So I, I marched into the 2nd 4th Battalion um, and, and basically went straight online uh, in, in that capacity uh, and in, in to, to, into Bravo Company and Fort Platoon uh, as the, the OC of Fort Platoon. Uh, so um, the, the scenario, I guess, or the, the atmospherics in 3 Brigade uh, certainly in those days, being a high readiness element, we're, we're all about work. And, and everything that we did was towards maintaining that uh, high readiness and, and, and the uh, ability to, to move uh, rapidly to, to support any government decision in, in uh, internal and external deployments. So our whole, whole focus was about that. Uh, luckily, I came into that, that, that organisation um, uh, in four platoon and within Bravo Company, particularly, I had a, a very strong leadership team uh, with the company commander and, and the CSM at the time, uh, and I had a very uh, experienced and and very uh, capable team within the platoon that were well established there. Um, current RSM three brigade uh, was one of the section commanders there, and and uh, the team was was a well established, as I said, and well proven team. Um, the year I had first first year in in, in the battalion uh, was a very busy one. Uh, we had some great training opportunities that that we we undertook, and and uh, it was a very full training program, including a trip to New Zealand uh, on an exchange program uh, with the whole company. Uh, we did uh, rotations through Tully and and a, and a full brigade and battalion readiness cycle uh, through that that readiness process. Um, so, you know, for, for a young platoon commander coming into the organisation, it was an exceptional uh, experience, a very steep learning curve, but um, an, an excellent opportunity to, to uh, understand the team that, that I was uh, allocated to and, and working in, uh, understand the strengths and weaknesses in that team, uh, and to test myself in, in some pretty uh, robust training scenarios and situations, uh, all under the, the, the close tutelage of a, of a strong company commander who who kept a pretty tight rein on us. So I'd say, you know, as a looking back and reflecting, it was a, it was a, a brilliant experience. It's one that, um, yeah, that first year particularly is one that you couldn't ask for a better start as a young platoon commander. 
So it sounds like it was um, a, a, a intense period of development to go from that training to be a junior officer to actually becoming a junior officer and all that that entailed. So keeping that in mind then, when the deployment became evident, what did you know at that point about the deployment to Rwanda? How much notice were you given and how did you prepare yourself for that? Uh, yeah, so, so to start, start with the first point, I think yeah, absolutely the transition from the training establishment into a, a line high readiness unit, um, you know, it wasn't a, a seamless uh, transition. I had a lot of uh, lessons reaffirmed and relearnt uh, through, through um, you know, uh, the, the experience of the individuals around me. And, and, and uh, I think, but the important piece there was to make a point about that is that, um, that the, the training system and the training establishment prepared me as well as any could. Uh, it gave me the tools and the background to be able to, uh, to reflect on lessons and be, and be you know, self-critical and, 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 but more importantly, to learn from others and be able to take that on board. So as I said, I had an extremely strong uh, uh, command team in that platoon and, and, and I learned a lot off, off all of the individuals. Uh, with regards to the, the, the deployment itself, um, we, we, we had a, a, a pretty, uh, or comparatively long, long turn up for that. So uh, for those who are, who are students of military history, you'll understand that, that, that we were committed uh, to that, that operation uh, in, in, in that my first year as, as a platoon commander in, in 24RIR, about in mid-year of, of 1994. And Alpha Company from the, the battalion was selected to go and uh, uh, form the core of the the, um, the security force that went across with the first medical force. Uh, so we had we had a heap of our mates and and and, and uh, brothers already in, in location uh, in in country. Uh, having said that, the communication systems aren't what they are today. So we we didn't you know get a lot other than the formal reporting back, and then the odd uh, personal uh, correspondence that were actually handwritten letters. It's, um, it's, it's that long ago. So, um, so we, we'd had had a fair bit of background on it, uh, but 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 not not near the the expectation that you would see today on on, on force preparation for anything like that. So, um, we, we were notified. Uh, it wasn't clear um, for straight away that, that that there would be a second rotation. The Australian government had kept that that option open, uh, and we were informed. Uh, probably to, it was towards the back end of 1994 uh, that we would deploy uh, in, in the new year to replace the Alpha Company uh, contingent that, on the first contingent that had gone across. Uh, so we had, we had a pretty um, yeah, good lead time. It wasn't, wasn't a, 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 you know, within the, the readiness notice. We, we, it was a couple of months notice and um, we did have some time to do uh, some thought around the deployment and, and try and gather a little bit more information. But uh, it was back right onto the Christmas leave period as well. So, you know, we didn't have uh, a lock-in or a, or a, 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 a mission-specific training activity as such as you see these days. But, but you know, a year from the previous year of training, hard training had prepared us pretty well. And, um, and we, you know, we were pretty confident across the board that we were well set to deploy. Okay, so then tell us then, what were your thoughts when arriving in Rwanda? Um, you know, it was, it, it's, it, it, it's hard, to, it's sort of reflecting back, but the original, initial thoughts was, you know, about the sights and, and sounds and smells that I was seeing, you know, it was, uh, all of us, I think, were, were, were um, 
there was a mixture of of, of enthusiasm and, and excitement and and uh, and, and probably a, a tinge of uh, uncertainty and, and perhaps fear um, about what 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 to expect. Um, they, they were all emotions that I think everyone was was running through as we as we flew in. Knowing that we had a foot on the ground already was was reassuring, and knowing that we'd have time, albeit short, uh, to, to to talk to our our team that was already on the deck there was 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 reassuring for sure. But um, you know, initially again, it was the, the sights, sounds, and smells of the place. I, I was struck by the beauty uh, of Kigali, of the the rolling hills and and the terraced uh, housing and and uh, and and farms that were you know small bl uh, plots of of um, uh, small crops that were in and around the city. It was it was um, it was bustling. I mean, there was people on the street and there was activity going on. So it was all you know, all of your senses were, were were excited as you as we sort of moved in. Um, once we got into uh, our accommodation uh, over at the the former uh, Rwandan uh, Defence Academy uh, and had an opportunity to start uh, talking with our with our colleagues there. Uh, yeah, the, the, you know, very, very quickly tuned to, to trying to, to extract as much information uh, out of that team as possible, listening to their stories, listening to the, the, the things that were difficult for them and, and, and the issues that they, that they had been involved in uh, and the incidents that they'd had to deal with whilst they were there. So uh, all of that background face-to-face -face stuff was, was, was uh, very uh, helpful in, in getting us sort of in the mind, right mindset. Uh, but then we also had uh, a very clear uh, commander's intent outlaid to us from our, our CEO of the contingent that he wanted to display that, that the contingent had changed and and, uh, and it was a different team in town now. So it is his own reasons for doing that. But um, there was very much about hitting those key directed milestones that we needed to do and then getting on the job. Uh, uh, for, for those who have done recent operations, uh, the handover takeover in country was less than 24 hours, so it was a pretty short period, and 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 and, and a lot different to the way we do things now. Um, so we we pretty much sat up all night and, and ran those questions and answers with the team that was outgoing, and and uh, the next day we were on the job. Uh, we, we we had replaced the the team that was there in in securing uh, the hospital, uh, which was separated from our accommodation area up at the academy only by a couple of hundred metres, but it was separate. Uh, so we'd, we'd moved straight in and, and occupied the hospital security requirements there. And as, as the medics and doctors fell in on the on the, an operating hospital to take over uh, Holders Boulders. Uh, and then the rest of our team then went in and secured the barracks uh, as well as, as, as a second task. And then the third element, the third platoon of the company uh, moved straight onto the uh, uh, ready response group requirements and stood stood to in, in short notice uh, taskings for, for response in and around uh, Kigali in support of the UN force and, and, and uh, our force and the broader UN force. Were there any stages in that early part where you were questioning or wondering about your capabilities? Oh yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a natural thing to do. I, again, anyone uh, who's, who has had, had the, the uh, opportunity to deploy, deploy on an operational uh, tour I think that's a natural question to ask yourself. Um, you know, certainly there was there was uh, a, a real want to to to, to test myself uh, in, in this circumstance, and 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 
and an unknown until that test was presented. You just you, there was never a, a clear uh, path or, or understanding of how, how I might respond to a, to a critical uh, incident or issue, uh, and 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 as importantly the rest of the team. But what I was confident in was that the work that we'd done in the lead up. Uh, I was confident in the strength of the team that I'd deployed there with and the capabilities of the team. Uh, I was very comfortable that I that I was uh, I had a, a good understanding, a deeper understanding of each of the individuals in that team and their and their strengths and weaknesses. And as I as I alluded to before, you know certainly some of my uh, strengths and weaknesses had been um, had been pointed out to me in the, in the previous. Uh, 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 robust training cycle that we'd gone through so uh, you know I, I was I was you know not apprehensive I'd, I'd say excitement was probably the, the key piece but but I was confident as well uh, but but that's not to say there's not doubt around um, how things might go if if, if, uh, if, if the situation turned um, anything other than than stable and good what we might do now is we might just move forward into April so let's talk a little bit Oh, you talk a little bit about the sort of work that you were doing in April, leading up to 18th of April, when you it was becoming more evident that things were going a little bit um, astray. Can you tell us about that April period? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, look, I, I, um, you know, I'd actually been slated for my first leave, so we we, we had. Uh, had had a pretty routine time up until April. There'd been, a, you know, a, a few little flash flashes and and of, of you know security concerns and issues. But but in the whole, we'd we'd been it'd been a pretty routine uh, uh, transition of of responsibility. Uh, we, we as I said, we hit the ground running, but we very quickly established a, you know a strong uh, presence in and around Kigali and then and then further afield. Uh, so leading up to April, we'd had a bit of a look around the country. We'd, we'd, done, we'd done some uh, smaller deployments outside of Kigali in support of the medical teams that were, were moving around. Um, and then, uh, so, so we had, a, you know, starting to get a bit of a feel for the place and, and, and an understanding of, you know, who we were there supporting and, and what the potential threats and risks might be. Um, but but April, yeah, as, you, as you point out, was was a was a, a sort of a, a crescendo of of, of um, actions and activities that had commenced, you know, up to twelve months earlier, since the back end of the, the original um, genocide that occurred in Rwanda. Uh, there, there had been a, a very large internally displaced persons uh, issue in Rwanda. A number of very large uh, IDP camps had been established around the country. Uh, the, and these were of concern to, to everyone who was in there supporting. They were difficult to to to, uh, to resupply and, and keep uh, uh, the supplies up to for, for those organisations that were, were were trying to do that. Uh, they were uh, very very um, complex places for the for the uh, for the medical teams to have to work in, and and and, and the living conditions in those. IDP camps were, were very, very basic and, and they were susceptible to disease and, and, and other uh, ailments that, that come with that close living. Um, so there was a, yeah, a real want across the board uh, and, and not, not to, at least the, the security situation. They were concerned to the, the Rwandan government that, that had been appointed once the RPA had pushed the, the, the um, RGF out of, out of power. Um, the RPA, uh, and you know, had established a, a want to close these IDP um, 
camps down and, and wanted them to, uh, you know, for the people in them to either move on or move back to their their uh, place of, of, of residence, um, partly to, to, you know, start re-establishing some normality in, in, inside the country, but but also to, to go after a number of the uh, the accused uh, individuals had participated in the, the, the genocide, uh, you know, in the previous year. So there's a, there's a bit, there's a lot of tension around that. Obviously, the people in the camps were, were concerned and worried about returning, and there was a resistance to do that through a number of other efforts that had gone on earlier. Um, there was a big operation that was conducted uh, by the by the previous uh, contingent. Uh, they participated in that, and a whole of UN push to try and. Uh, move some of the IDP camps and, and, and close them down, and that that had not been successful, uh, and had had resulted in a number of um, security incidents that, that that we knew had occurred. Uh, but we, we sort of got wind in that 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 um, you know third week of April that, that this was going on again, or, or the second week second week into the third week. So as I said, I was, I was I'd actually been slated for my first leave opportunity in, um, out of country, and and uh, and was all set to go and do that. We'd, we'd commenced a, a rotation of, of uh, FE back to uh, uh, into Kenya to to partake in a in a 72-hour leave in that location, and and I was pretty much looking forward to doing that. It had been a pretty busy couple of months, and I was looking forward to the opportunity to go with a couple of mates. The AC had released. Um, all three platoon commanders to go and do that at the same time. So I was pretty keen to get out there with uh, Tom White and Chris Smith and, and just you know, relax for a little bit and have a couple of beers. But uh, the OC grabbed me on the way out literally and, and sort of said, you know, know that this is going on and it's your team that's about to to, to be pushed down there. Are you are you you know comfortable with that? And, and I. I it didn't take me long to make a decision to change the leave opportunity, and and because I knew that you know something um, bigger than what we'd been doing was about to, to take place. Uh, I didn't know exactly what it was, but but you know, I made the election there, and then to, to postpone my leave and 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 stay on and and move with the team. Um, we we were sort of briefed into to uh, again very limited sort of background. We knew knew that the the, the largest camp in, internally. Uh, to, to Rwanda at the time was Kibayo. Uh, we knew that it was plus of 100,000 people in that camp. And uh, and we got word that that, that was the, the focus for the, the uh, RPA to, to, to move down there and, and close that camp down um, through negotiation or, or otherwise. So uh, the decision was made uh, to deploy a, a medical force um, in support of, of uh, the UN troops that were down in Kibayo and many sort of overlooked this piece, but there was a Zambian uh, company on the ground in Kibayo as part of the, the UN force. Uh, they had very limited um, uh, medical support in that location and, and, and ours as the, as the, the whole of force medical support organisation uh, you know, was, was tasked to go down and, and provide some support to them and, and, and incidental support that could be arranged for uh, any of the IDPs that might might need that uh, on occurrence. So uh, we went we went as a uh, we were warned out to go as a as a uh, protection element for for that medical support team that we were sending down there. Um, and Carol Vaughan Evans and and her team uh, on the medical side. Uh, there was myself and and uh, two sections. Uh, one one was uh, Brian Buskells, uh, and the other one was from five. 
fight platoon section that we were augmented with because my other section that wasn't on leave was off and about with the legal officer under with Irish O'Halloran, my platoon sergeant at the time. So I uh, went down with a, an understrength platoon to, to go and do the job and, and um, you know, and our key role in that was making sure that we were protecting the, the, the personnel in that medical team so that they could focus on looking after the, the business at hand that they might have to be dealing with in, uh, in that situation. So, um, so from, you know, that, that was, that was all, that happened pretty quickly. That was all sort of over a 24 hour to 36 hour period that we, we, from, from flash to bang with regards to the task coming out and us, us rolling out. Um, I hadn't been down in the south of the country. I think we'd had one limited run down there um, previously uh, by another call sign. Uh, so it was all sort of new ground um, where we were heading to. But we knew that there were, were other UN uh, bases established down in that area. And as I said, the Zambian battalion uh, had, had responsibility for that broader AO and, and, and had a, a, a nominated company group at the, at the Kibayo location. So... Um, we did some pretty quick preparations and, and got set. Um, the uh, company commander uh, made the decision to, to deploy with, with the broader group initially, uh, just to get down and established in that location. And, and uh, the, the plan was to, to when, when available, marry up with my uh, other section that was in location down in that area under the platoon sergeant and uh, with the legal officer who were doing some work around the genocide investigation at the time. So we, we, you know, other than that, we had very scant uh, understanding of what facilities were available and where, where, where in fact, we could stage out of. And we, should, we sort of uh, had a, a rough plan uh, that we would leverage off the Zambian uh, footprint down there and, and operate from their, their compounds to, 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 and into the camp where, where and when as uh, we were required. So uh, all, all very um, unknown, I guess, is the... Is the, is the key there and uh, but that, that put us down in that location uh, where we we uh, had planned to go uh, directly into the camp uh, establish communications with the the UN team there uh, and the other agencies that were operating there and get a feel for the the situation and, and what was happening uh, and then to extract uh, each evening to a, an, another Zambian compound that was uh, a little ways uh, north of of Kibaya, where we would uh, establish a firm base location and 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 then project from there. Um, so that 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 all happened. That went went well. Uh, we we got down into the uh, camp itself. Uh, we we were were struck when we entered the camp. I think by uh, the size of it, the enormity of the the, the location. Um, it was it was just uh, you know it unbelievable how, how many people and how many structures, small uh, temporary structures that had been erected and how, how, how large the camp was. You were you know, driving through it for, for what seemed like hours um, until we got into the centre of what was the original um, missionary location and church that, and small village that was known as Kibaya. Uh, but, but the other thing that struck us, I think, pretty much straight away was the fact that um, the place was empty. Um, so we, we had had, had uh, you know, the briefings that we'd, we'd been given that, that there was over 100,000 people in this camp um, and that was clearly you know, uh, evident by the structures and, and whatnot. There were that many people, but there was just no one around. There was a lot of the, the um, temporary accommodations had been burnt down. 
there was evidence that, that, that people had left quickly. Um, so we weren't really sure at all about what was going on and what had had, had happened. Um, you know, we were sort of discussing that maybe we were too late, uh, that we'd missed um, the opportunity to get in there and support and, and that perhaps it had already been cleared out. But as we got into the centre of the camp around the, the missionary uh, location, the mission location and the, and the church, it uh, was evident then what, what had occurred. Uh, the RPA had commenced the clearance operations uh, in, into that location uh, and, and had cordoned the area and, and, and swept through and, and basically herded everyone up onto a centre ridge line that, that ran along um, the access of, of what was the, the, the little village that was Cabello there and there's a number of small structures along that ridge line, but they'd herded the, the, the whole uh, of the camp into that location. Uh, and had commenced their own form of, of uh, screening and, 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 and removal of individuals from that location uh, back, back along the track to the north. So we'd come in sort of from another uh, approach into the, the, the town and they were, they were moving them out on the northern track up to uh, the next major town of Batari, which is a little bit north. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was a bit of a, a surprise to see that the situation had developed that rapidly and that, that, that they'd moved quickly. But we adjusted and we, we got um, established initially on, on, on the far side of the camp uh, where, where the processing was being conducted by the RPA in an abandoned um, house there and or small hut. Uh, we set up a, a perimeter there and, 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 and sort of tried to be, yeah, establish our own footprint that was securable in that location. Uh, and then we... we attempted to provide uh, some support to the Zambians on the ground and the other agencies that were operating there in, in, in the medical team getting up and on, onto the case. And um, that, you know, there was, a, as you can imagine, a, a, a queue of 100,000 long getting pushed along through this processing piece. There was a fair bit to do. So the medical team was busy straight away. Um, and, and uh, you know, we sort of start, started planning then as to uh, a more... Uh, supportable location where we could operate from and we had, you know, getting a, a feel for what was going on in the broader uh, camp at that stage. And uh, I think, you know, the, 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 the tension was clear in the air there at that time. And um, as the, as the people in that camp had been surprised, I guess, by the, by the move that was made that morning to, to round them up onto the, onto the track. But, um, but that first day was pretty much, you know, uh, there wasn't too many significant issues and, and um, you know, there was there's some uh, hard-handed uh, activities that the RPA were undertaking and there was clearly fear amongst, you know, a lot of the IDPs that were being pushed along and, and processed. Um, but we, 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 we weren't restricted um, or, or I didn't get the feeling that we, we, we were going to be, you know, uh, targeted by anyone at that point. That was just another agency that had arrived and started operating. So um, we, we sort of planned then to, to, to where we could continue to support and, and then touch base with the Zambians in location as well, just to make sure that we were tied in with them. Um, and, uh, you know, and that, that all sort of went pretty well. Um, did you want me to go on from there or? Well, I guess, could we talk a little <coughs> bit about the, the day then of the massacre and when, when things started to go very wrong? Um, yeah. Let's have a talk about that and I guess from your perspective as a platoon commander, let's 
you know, explore that from, from that perspective. What were you thinking and how were you seeing it as a platoon commander? Yeah, okay. So, the, 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 um, I mean, constantly taking in, in on what, the, what was happening in the situation at that stage. I had the, the, the benefit of ha having the OC on the ground at that stage, which was, you know, a, a great reassurance. We had a reassurance. We had a you know, very, very good relationship. Uh, we did, in fact, meet up with my platoon sergeant and the legal officer at that point as well, or thereabouts. And so him in the area was, was you know, we, we might, the team was was more complete than, than running without them. Uh, the OC did yeah, did make the decision to, to or in fact, I think he was directed to be re recalled back to Kigali and he did depart at some point along that uh, piece. And then uh, same, same for the legal officer, which required an escort. And then my platoon sergeant, uh, Irish O'Halloran had to move with that group as well to make sure that that, um, that, that party was secured in the route back to, to, to Kigali. So that pretty much left uh, uh, the two sections that I had with me and, and, and the rest of the medical team uh, uh, and support pieces that were, were allocated in location. Um, I guess, you know, so the scenario-wise, uh, things were changing and, and you can tell that and, and it's probably uh, understandable. It is definitely understandable that, that that many people crowded into a very small area with, with that much uncertainty around it. There's going to be uh, all sorts of um, reactions to that, um, individual and group. Uh, and that was clear that that was starting to, to, to ripple through the, the, the group, the, the, the IDPs as they were waiting um, for, for you know, more than 24 hours now to be processed. There was uh, clearly a shortage of water and, and food into those um, pieces. So, so our support to um, other agencies that were trying to get that those elements into the IDPs uh, was clear that we, we had a role there that we could support and help with. Um, we started some work around that. There was also, um, at that time, there was some, some discussions around uh, 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 some rumours and then, and then uh, in fact, around some, some um, uh, mass killings that had occurred potentially before we, we arrived there. Uh, there was a task then to, to dispose uh, of those um, bodies appropriately for, for health reasons that, that needed to happen pretty quickly. So that part of the team got involved in that pretty quickly. And, um, you know, for me as a platoon commander, it was all about uh, trying to read read the situation and anticipate what, what sort of activities um, the team might need to become involved in, what things they should be and what and what we couldn't be by, by, by ROE and, and restrictions that we'd had placed on us. So that was a, 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 an ongoing discussion, um, particularly then with Buzz and, and, and the other section commanders that, that was on the ground with me. Uh, obviously, support to Carol Vaughan Evans and her team was, was, was a clear task and one that, that was of the highest priority and the protection of that medical team was always uh, in, the, in the foremost of my mind. So uh, any activities that anyone else in the group were wanting to undertake had to be uh, considered and, and ensure that we had the right uh, mix in support of them. Um, but it was, yeah, really about just trying to stay connected with what, what was happening and what was developing and, and, and having a, a plan in place discussed with, with my command team um, about what, what we could and couldn't do and, and, and what capacity we had in, in that regard. And, um, and always, you know, with a view of, um, you know, keeping the worst case scenario in mind, what, what would our response be at any given time to any sort of flare up? So um, I don't think any of us anticipated 
uh, what what was to occur, but we certainly had thought about you know what what we could do and what uh, what we couldn't do uh, if if something did go wrong. So uh, securing our team and, the, and and assisting with the broader UN team was was clear clearly a priority in that. Um, you know, once once that um, the that, that was sort of taken care of and we got into a routine. We did move across to the other side of the compound, which was a more securable location uh, and established ourselves there, tacked on to what was the Zambian headquarters, uh, company headquarters location there. Uh, it, it had a very rudimentary uh, uh, um, barbed wire uh, fence around it. Uh, around the car park area that had been flattened and reset a couple of times, uh, but but it at least gave an area that was clear of being in, inside of the the the, the uh, mass of of, of people uh, uh, without any sort of obstacle or, or separation, and it gave us more importantly an area for uh, Carol and her team to set up a, a triage area because at that stage we're starting to see uh, more and more uh, uh, blunt trauma and and uh, machete wounds presenting and, and Carol and her team were, were, were very busy in, in starting to uh, deal with those those as they presented uh, and the team of course then uh, shifted to you know, not only uh, protecting but also assisting some of those medical personnel in in moving out into the into the uh, crowd and, and, and retrieving uh, some of the, the, the more significant, uh, significantly injured personnel, and, and having them brought back to, to Carol and the team to be looked at. Um, but we we were busy in that routine, and 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 um, the RPA were continuing to process the personnel out as they as they saw fit. Um, and you know we had a, a few interactions with them there in in doing that. And uh, at that stage, they they weren't uh, they weren't threatening. Uh, I'd say to us, but but they were still uh, set and very focused on what what they were, were trying to achieve in there as well. Um, but that, that that was the yeah you know, we were that was how we sort of were able to operate then for the next day or so. And um, it wasn't until the the, the morning of the um, the the first massacre that that uh, yeah the heightened tension was was um, was experienced and. Uh, I think you know that, that's a couple of days into those those poor souls being being um, pushed in in, in, in such a, an uncomfortable environment uh, without with so limited uh, resources. I know that you know the stories there of our lads being exposed to that you know seeing mothers picking corn kernels out of out of feces to, to to try and reboil in muddy water that they'd captured off some of the tarpaulins to to give their kids to feed. Um, so you can yeah it was a pretty Pretty grim um, uh, scenario for those people, you know. I think the RPA were becoming impatient with the slow flow of things as well. So there was a bit of a, a you know, that as you took, you know, spoke to the pressure cooker, the pressure was certainly rising, and 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 uh, and it, you know, as as all pressure, it needs a release somewhere, and that came in that uh, first response from the IDPs to try and break out from the camp and 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 uh, run into the open. Open fields and and uh, you know at, at that time again we we worked worst case scenarios. I, I hadn't uh, anticipated that the RPA would respond the way they did, um, but we, you know we got a pretty clear understanding once that happened that they were prepared to to fire upon these unarmed civilians and and do it wholesale. 
uh, you know, and, and again, my, my, my thought process there was about, uh, again, trying to stay on top of the situation, uh, be decisive in, in decisions that I was, was making, but do that in a consultative way and, and ensure that, you know, my subordinate commanders uh, had, had the opportunity to express their, their, their same uh, scan of the environment and, and I'd take that into consideration, but, but then being decisive in making decisions and, uh, and, and adjustments to the plan uh, and, and ensuring that, the, you know, that, that we were continually reviewing the situation in that regard. So, um, you know, all, all of and, and then obviously keeping the higher command uh, element advised of the, the situation as well was another focus of mine to ensure that my CO, uh, who was the only lifeline that we had, um, that, that he was uh, up to date with what was going on and, and, and what we were experiencing on the ground. Um, but yeah, it was, so it was multiple things going on, keeping them in hand, but ensuring that we had the right right people in the right place uh, to do the right things at the right time. That was that was a pretty uh, it kept me pretty busy in, in in that decision making. Certainly, once the once the um, that first uh, wholesale um, breakout occurred and and the and the RPA uh, commenced firing upon the the crowds, both those escaping and then back into the crowd. My number one thought and, pro and priority around that was was for protection of the team um, to make sure that that uh, that we were as secure as we could be in in in, in that first instance um, and and you know as I said it was pretty basic where we were uh, um, established but it was the, the best spot I think that we could have been in in, in the area uh, and then and then it was about um, making decisions around how we supported uh, additional um, requirements from the medical team. You know, people with now gunshot wounds in, in large numbers and, and uh, managing um, the flow or the access for the medics to get out to those personnel whilst there was firing still going on. Um, understanding and appreciating that it wasn't just one-way fire, that it was there was two-way uh, engagements that were ongoing and, and it was clear then that there was a fairly large uh, what we called intra harmway or, or, or um, rebel element that, that was inside the camp that were still armed and, and were prepared to engage the RPA. Uh, so it was pretty confused, but it was, you know, it was clearly about ensuring that we could, you know, stay on top of the situation, stay, stay secure in, in our movements and, our, and, and be decisive in, in our um, assessment and then and, and decision-making. Um, and then that's, that's where it was really, really, you know, uh, wholly focused on, um, and that that ran right through uh, the, the the morning. Of, yeah, there was a lot of other emotions that that come into it there, but um, I was very uh, mindful that that um, that the the whole situation was confused, and and the last thing we wanted to do was add confusion to that. So I, I sought clarity where I you know, could, and 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 I ensured I tried pretty hard to try and stay you know to stay as calm as I could possibly be. Um, and 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 hoped that and yeah saw that that also had a calming um, influence on the team and 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 certainly you know I got that back in spades from 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 the team uh, across the board um, and again it reflects back to the, the the good preparation I think that we did it was uh, it was a certain degree of trust already established there that uh, you know I knew the team members pretty well and they knew me um, and. 
and and we knew how to respond to each other's uh, requirements there. Uh, I had I, I trusted the, the, the team completely. I had no doubt about any member of the team that I was operating with, and 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 uh, I hope and 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 uh, trust that they had that same trust in me. But uh, you know, it was it, it was it was a confidence in knowing that it, once the decision was made, that every individual in the group. Because we'd prepared well and we'd, we'd focused on on that that solid preparation, that that uh, they would respond in the right way, and they did it. They did absolutely uh, you know, every, everything and, and more than what I asked of them in each of those uh, requirements. Uh, and 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 you know the team, as being an established team, they were able to feedback uh, important information to me uh, in in a rapid way, in a timely way, that I could make decisions ahead of 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 uh, being reactive. So. We could have you know, got on the front foot a little bit there and got ahead of the decision uh, process and were able to anticipate uh, next moves. And, and that stood us in good stead you know, through that day and particularly then once the, the main breakout occurred and, and, uh, and, and in points in where, you know, where we were sort of completely overrun in the compound and, and the chaos and confusion that was, uh, in, it was yeah, that ensued post that. Um, you know, we had talked through where our what our reaction to, to the worst case scenarios were. We knew where our fallback lines were and, and where our last stand would, would have been, was going to be made if we needed to. Uh, we knew that the, the essential piece as a kit for us was our way in and out of that location, which it would light skin six view vehicles that we had at the time. Uh, and, and with the helos that we were able to get in and out up until a point during the day. Um, and you know, as it, as would have it, um, the, the the worst of the day came when we were spread the thinnest, um, and and uh, and you know the response that we were able to uh, do through you know just good communication prior to the event was was a testament to the you know the fact that yeah we were able to yeah, yeah, put the right plans in place and people knew those. Um, you know, I think at one stage there, uh, Brian and, and, and the small team were up securing the, the uh, landing zone for the helos just before they, they stopped flying because the firing was was, was too substantial across the, the LZ there. But Brian and a small team had gone up to escort a, a stretcher team to evac a couple of casualties. I uh, had Brian's 2IC uh, on, the, on the deck with me back in the actual compound. Uh, Securing two sides of the, the the compound that were the most direct access for, for personnel yeah, people outside the, of the wire in the IDP area and and some of the inter harmway that were there, um, and then once that the the the, the you know, um, wholesale shooting started on onto the people inside the compound and and as the masses tried to break out, <coughs> the people um, naturally swarmed in to try and seek refuge with us. Um, that created its own security issues that that uh, we had to deal with on the fly, and um, and but we you know, fortunately we were able to uh, reconsolidate around the vehicles, uh, reset that what the small force that we had in location there, and 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 clear the compound sufficiently to be able to regain a, a positive security uh, um, stance in there, um, and 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 stop being reactionary, get back on the front foot, and be be proactive about where we were. Uh, and then it was about, you know, um, managing the situation as it developed. And it was, you know, we, there's a point there where 
all the planning in the world you can do and, and all of the, the wargaming and considerations are, are, are overtaken by events, literally, and, and then you are being reactive to the situation. But um, we, we're able to uh, continue to react, I guess, faster than the situation was able to develop. And, you know, we were able to execute a number of different activities in there around not only security of the the, the, um, the, the location that we were in and the team that we were with, but also in assisting in, in continuing in evacuating um, uh, casualties that were obviously uh, increasing by the by the minute as that as that situation unfolded, uh, right through to to, to being able to um, uh, put sufficient uh, posture together to to threaten the RPA in a physical sense for them to stop doing what they were doing in, in, in at least in the local areas that we could get to. Um, so so there was you know, still a lot going on and, and you know but by that stage we 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 shifted to, to understanding that the whole situation, I'd been informed that, um, that, that the helos would no longer fly in, um, that was not viable for them to get into the LZ that we had been using and, and that the UN pilots that, that were operating those aircraft weren't, weren't um, prepared to come back in close to where we were because of the amount of uh, um, small arms fire that was being experienced, uh, which was a fair enough call. Um, I'd also been told by my CEO, uh, Dolly Roach, that, that um, he couldn't get anyone else to me um, quickly. Um, he he, he uh, was sort of hoping to get a, a, a support element um, mustered together and down to us as quick as he could, but that was uh, what we knew at that stage. That was probably at least uh, 12 to 18 hours away. So uh, it, it was that point that, you know, really uh, I knew that we are on our own and... and uh, and, and then things started yeah, sort of working towards self-preservation from there. So working out how, how that we can continue to look after what we're doing, but, but also be in a position to, to be able, and um, I think at about that point, you know, we sort of talked about uh, in extremists, we, we had a plan uh, to fight our way out if we needed to. Um, which, which I had a difficult manoeuvre to, to, to undertake, but it was a plan and it was one that, that had been discussed and, and it was understood. Um, and we, we also had, you know, the, the, you know varying degrees of, of, of uh, looking for opportunities to potentially extract ourselves when, when we could. Um, uh, and, and, and the other one, the option was obviously to sit it out and wait in location. So, you know, we continued, that it was all about, um, you know, continuing to review, review the situation and, and then, um, try and try and stay on the front foot with the decision making. So let's just think now from a, a, a wider perspective. What can people watching this today um, take away to do to prepare them for leadership under adversity? Um, I, I, I think it gets back to yeah you know, some of the stuff I've been sort of talking about. I, I, you know, preparation is everything. Um, you know, I was, as I said, I'll go back to the start where I was talking about the, the, the opportunity I had in that first year as a platoon commander is to, um, you know, we, with, with the experience that I had in the team and, 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 the, and the individuals that I had in the team, a very focused and professional group, um, the preparation that we did uh, in, in those readiness uh, checks and, the, and those, those uh, training and exercise opportunities that we undertook, it was all about setting very high standards, 
um, checking on those standards and ensuring that we were, you know, across the board being able to meet the standards that, that, that were uh, at a minimum required to do the work that we we're going to potentially be thrown out the door to do. Um, but, you know, it was, it was about forming the relationships and the trust in the, in, in the groups that, that uh, within the team. So, you know, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the individuals uh, and, and understanding my own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, being 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 comfortable with being critical of, of performance and, and and with a view of, of improvement, so that 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 positive criticism that that leads to improvement in, in performance, um, you know, and 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 a development of that trust that that you knew that I knew that that you know if I gave direction, um, you know, I, I firstly knew that the discussion and the deci in the decision making process would be robust and, and would be honest. Um, but but I also knew that once the decision was made, it'd be executed uh, to the letter, uh, to the best of that individual's um, ability. Um, and, and and I had trust in that. I had very strong trust in that. I had, I had great confidence in, in in the command teams within in the platoon through that that hard work and 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 how I'd seen them, them operate. Um, and the skill sets of the every individual in the platoon, you know, it was you know they were, they were trained well. Uh, and they were prepared well, and they responded well. And I think that's uh, something that um, that that that's, that can't go without sort of uh, noting. Um, I, I guess the, the other um, pieces that that I'd say in, in preparation, um, you know, it, it's 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 it, it's a human endeavour that we undertake. So it is about uh, human interactions, and you know, the relationship with my OC uh, was a very good one, and 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 again one that. Yeah, you know, he taught me a lot in a very short time, and and I was able to think improve as a platoon commander significantly in the lead up to the deployment, uh, and take on board those lessons. He he had an approach where it was about um, learning, although some of the lessons were tough. That was the way things were in those days, but that that was you know it was all about an improvement of the team and and getting the most out of the the individuals and the group um, across the board. Um, yeah, the, the again the the, the Trust that Dolly Roach put in me, and, and and but that was built through a very short concentration and, and in, you know very few interactions. To be honest, with the CEO, the platoon commander at that time, a couple of social engagements, and then you know occasionally when he got out to see us doing something. But um, the ability to communicate openly and freely with him and have him accept the assessment that I was making on the ground as as as, as accurate and true, and and to know that he was doing. Uh, everything he could to to organise support and 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 perhaps uh, get get some additional uh, support to us when when possible. That you know, um, yeah, that was all all part of it. I, I, I but you know, it all goes back to just good preparation. And good preparation is good training. And good training builds teams. And and, and in building teams, you get to know individuals and and understand each other better. And that's 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 where the time was invested. And and that's what paid off in in in. Um, in, in due course. All right. Thank you for that, Steve. I think we have the opportunity now for um, the people here to ask you questions, um, if they have any. It would be remiss if, if, if there's anything that Brian wanted to add at this stage, or, or, or please, mate, come up the front and, and uh, you know, we've done these group and answer things before. I'd be happy for you to, to join me in answering and perhaps give a, a little different perspective, mate. You know, the, the story doesn't change. Um, you know, we both lived it. Uh, all, all of our mates that were there with us lived it. Um, 
it's been written down um, beautifully by some. You know, Narelle's uh, 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 documents that she's de de developed and, um, and, and by others who have been a little bit critical at times and perhaps that's, that's okay too. But um, it's always good to have others in the room like Brian to, to, to just get a sequence and, and, and uh, a chronology of events because uh, you, know, you guys, young blokes won't realise that as you get older, Things sort of blur into one, and then uh, you know the story's right, but the uh, the timing or sequence might be a little bit out. So Brian might be able to add to that as, as we get any questions. So uh, please fire away. I think uh, your memory's pretty good there, boss. Uh, you are younger than me, but yes, you are correct. The timing with lines that he got told is pretty pretty well on the money, um, and all the things uh, he talks about about preparation on the money. I mean, uh, we'd spent a good year together, even before we were warned out we are gonna to go to Rwanda. And we'd been in New Zealand, uh, Captain Carter was in New Zealand with us, as a, and the company you know, really bonded in New Zealand, mainly because we were frustrated with our CSM, but uh, it was a good trip to build an excellent rifle company. And uh, yeah, that's why we performed as the way we did, I think. That's right, sir. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, that's a good point that Buzz makes about the, 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 the CSM, and I'm sure you've reflected on it since, mate, but, you know, the, the CSM we had at the time was a hard man. Um, and he was, he was, uh, he, he was, there was only black and white with him. Uh, there was a right and wrong, and, and it was way, the way Al saw things, that, that's how he saw things. And he demanded a lot of his junior NCOs, and he was very, very um, uh, critical of performance of junior NCOs and junior officers. Uh, but, but certainly junior NCOs, and, and he, he rode the, the section commanders hard. But, but having said all that, um, I think, and, and, I, and I think you'll probably agree with me, Buzz, in reflection, that, that you know, in the long run, the, the CSM's uh, hard, tough standards were, were things that, that, that you know, people responded to. As frustrating as they may have been at times, you know, the, the, he, he did demand and did draw the best out of the, the, the junior NCOs and senior NCOs within the course line. And he was a, a pillar of strength for the OC there as well. So, you know, it, it just, it, all types are needed in, in, in building that team and, and, and all types work. And I mean, when I think about Alan, and he's a good friend of mine now, we, I see him quite often. Um, he was my RSM when I was in Warrah as well. He, uh, he changed. When we deployed, he, he was a different man. And he would come and talk to section commanders all the time. He'd bring the OC down. And those two men together were one of the best command terms I've ever seen in my life. Um, and yeah, yeah, without, without, if he hadn't been the man he was the years before we deployed, we would not have been the same organisation we were when we did deploy. And uh, I have the utmost respect for that man. And uh, my view of him was very, very different come the 25th of April. Uh, 1995, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I agree completely, mate. And look, I think another great point Buzz makes there is that you know we were a team of teams, and, and it was and that was promoted and and, and uh, really really fostered within that command atmosphere that the OC and CSM established. Um, as a, you know, leading up, tra they you know, train hard, fight easy, and that was that was. Yeah, you know, the, the OC was always a bit of a, a character, but he still he was very demanding on his young young officers, particularly. Um, but but I, I had the same. I, I, I had very fond memories of of, of uh, yeah both positive and negative uh, uh, learning experiences with both those individuals, 
and mentoring uh, sessions where, where, where you know, the AC was was able to point out my wrongs or my strengths and 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 you know focus me towards those. But the CSM was able to do that from a senior soldier perspective too, and he and he often did. He'd come and talk about um, you know just things that he'd seen done well in the past and done not so well, and you know tips for young players. And that was a great a great experience to have that you know him in, in the organisation. And um, you know it was a, it was a, as I said a positive, very positive, demanding but positive command uh, uh, atmosphere. But I think Colonel Tulwick's talked enough. There must be hundreds of questions. You've got to have some questions for him. The connection's great, so let's use the opportunity to ask him some questions. Hey, sir, Sergeant Perkins from One uh, Hour. So just touching on that point, so when I first joined in 2002, I was lucky enough to have the same platoon for two years straight, so we got to build that uh, good rapport and that good teamwork. By 2010, you had a separate section for most exercises. I think now we've had five battalion reorgs in the last 12 months. So with the average soldier career length these days being, you know, four years at best, how do you see Army addressing that challenge of building that sort of deep knowledge and, and getting mission command to sort of go forward when you can't build those relationships and, and continue that trust? Yeah, no, it's a great question, mate. And, and look, I, I, it's not to say that we didn't have some of that that, that chop and churn. Um, we, we were just sort of ring-fenced, particularly in four platoon for some reason. Um, but, but yeah, at the time there was that that, that coming and going and, and, and particularly with the rotation of the, the readiness groups. But a great question, mate. I, I, I appreciate, um, you know, you've, you've lived a similar experience and, and the current environment is is really, uh, re really difficult to, to, to manage that. I, I think... If, if any of you have seen um, uh, General Burr's latest webinar, he talks specifically towards you know, some of those issues you've just raised, Sarge, and, and, and it's around uh, slowing the tempo, being comfortable that we can, we can um, let things go but, and focus on other things at the expense of some other pieces. Um, I, I think, and I think that's an acknowledgement from the Chief of Army that, that you know, down that, that this is something that needs to happen. Um, I've seen it. Previously, in my time as a company commander, and then even you know, across my time as a CO, um, teams are having to rebuild on the fly continually. Uh, it's difficult to to to, uh, to 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 get those long periods of time together and multiple training opportunities together. Um, you know, I guess what what we need to all do is knuckle down and do is what the the, you know, the chief is talking to us about, and 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 start enforcing that reduction in tempo. Uh, but there's other things I think that we can do to mitigate some of that as well. And, and that's, you know, really um, a real focus at all, all levels. It is more uh, readily um, able to, to, to transfer individuals from, from small team to small team uh, and, and be, and be uh, gripped up into that small team rapidly. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it is a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question, mate, and, and slowing the flow. And, and getting the basics really right, uh, it goes some way to doing that. But but we've got to be focused across the board as an organisation and, and and understand the importance of of maintaining small teams together for, for longer periods of time. I hope that gets a, a little bit of what you're saying, mate. I haven't got a full answer for you, but you know, it, it, it is one that we all need to continue to focus on. Go. 
Uh, g'day, sir. Uh, you spoke about uh, medical and legal. Uh, Army and three brigade are really about uh, combined arms and combat teaming. Uh, what, if any, supporting elements do you think could have assisted you in that deployment to Rwanda? And uh, was it discussed back then in getting any of those elements? Yeah, mate, look, look, a great question again. So just stay up there. I can, I can watch your face as I'm answering and see if I get it right. So, so a great, great question, mate, and, 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 um, and a great point. You know, we, none of us do this in isolation. None of us should be doing this in isolation. Uh, we're, not, we're not built or designed or equipped to do it in isolation, and it takes a combined arms team to, to, to get best effect out of anything that we're going after. Um, absolutely, uh, force structure and force protection uh, are a much much more uh, prevalent consideration now than they were when we deployed to Rwanda. And I, and I like to think that, that some of the lessons and, and, and post-operational uh, reports that came out of Rwanda may have some way uh, affected that, along with uh, ROE and, and, and uh, chapters that we get committed towards within the UN. Um, so absolutely, if, if I was to look at the situation we went into now, um, as, as a planner and, and, and uh, design a force that would go and do the same job, it'd look a lot different to what we sent across there in 1995, I can guarantee you that. Um, you certainly, there'd be a greater emphasis on, on, uh, on force protection, uh, on force structure that is able to, to respond to, to the threat that, that uh, may uh, present itself. Um, and, and then and on mobility and communications, there's a whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, piece there that, that, that we were literally in the dark and, and, and operating on a, on a, a, women, a wing and a prayer. Um, you know, we, we were moving around the most uh, highly mined country on the face of the planet at the time in light skin 60 vehicles. And our force protection measure was to throw two lines of sandbags on the floor of the, the tray. And that was it. Um, lads were in the back seat, literally on wooden seats with no seat belts. Uh, we we jerry-rigged gun mounts out the side of the vehicle so that we could put the minimi out for some, uh, some, some element of force protection. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we had you know, um, a four-car uh, four uh, section from uh, B Squadron join us that, that weren't, were underutilised because everyone was scared to use them because of the the optics around it um, and, and rolling out a, a hardened vehicle. Um, we've come a long way since then. You know, the kit that we're operating with now would make a, a complete change straight up. But, um, you know, the force element and the force structure and the force protection that, that would be put into that now would put us in a, in a lot different position and potentially open up different decision-making processes as well. Um, you know, I, I, to do the job, you know, we, we went in under a Chapter 6 um, UN uh, mandate, which is very restrictive on offensive operations anyway. I think, you know, in hindsight, people would have insisted on a Chapter 7 now, which was what we have done post that, and, and particularly into Interfet uh, and onto the UN mission there. Um, and, then, and then having the assets and the resources to, to respond in a more... Uh, positive way rather than having um, young soldiers in, in World War II, uh, correction, uh, in Vietnam vintage flak jackets um, presenting themselves in front of an individual who's shooting on unarmed populations and putting themselves in between them 
you know, we wouldn't have to do that if we had the right kit and the right force force structure, mate. So, yeah, it's a great a great question and a, and a great consideration. Um, and I just, you know, I think we're much better set now as an army. Uh, we're better set right through that decision making uh, process around deployments, and and we're better set with the kit and and, and the you know the training that the, that the lads are getting with that kit. Um, so. I don't, hopefully that, that answered your, your question there, but you're spot on, mate. We, you know, all everyone has a, a role in it, and everyone would value add to it in, in the in the combined arms team sense. I suppose I'd add, we were a combined arms company. We had an engineer section. They did a lot of stuff. We had the carriers. They were manned by five seven RAR soldiers at that stage because they did a rotation. Um, me thinking back to that particular day, what would I have liked to have seen? <laughs> We were relying on a HF concept. I would have liked to have seen some better communications. That was the thing that scared me the most that day was that comms. Sid Quinn did the best job in the world. He, he maintained comms all day long. Um, but yeah, a, a better comms debt to deploy that far south would have been really handy, I thought. And I did a lot of missions outside Kigali, not just this one. And all we had was a HF whip antenna or some dipoles that we'd set up. And comms was always the thing that worried me the most whenever the boss or the OC would say, hey, you're going on a task, this is how far you're going. And I'd always ask about comms. So, yeah. But we learnt so much. I think the Army learnt so much out of those early deployments in the 90s to Somalia, uh, Rwanda, Cambodia. Um, we learnt a lot about how we should deploy properly. Uh, so, yeah, we're in a much better position than we were back then. Yeah, that was a follow-up question I had, which was uh, what kind of reporting were you sending higher in? How was that received and reacted to uh, from the OC? Can, can you, can you uh, repeat that, please? Brian, or through you, mate, please? Oh, oh here we go. Yep. Yeah, sorry, me again. Um, what kind of reporting were you sending higher and how was that received and reacted to by your uh, higher headquarters? Yeah, so, so uh, normal, normal reports and returns, mate, we used to rely on them a little heavy, heavily, uh, yeah, more heavily in those days. But um, so on top of those, you know, it was on a current... You know, we're sending uh, sit reps and, and, and updates, but as Brian uh, outlined, the comms were difficult all day. Uh, I came to yeah the, the next uh, or, or the whole deployment, in fact. But the we you know, I came to understand later that all of the battle captains that were on duty uh, were called in on duty so that they could all decide sit in the in the comms room and and, and try and decipher some of the, the the message because it was so garbled <coughs> coming through. Um, I, I was keeping them abreast of, of how the situation was developing. I was I was giving continual updates on 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 the situation as it developed uh, around the security piece, and I, I continued to um, update. Uh, at, you know, the CO at times came straight on. I was talking straight to Niner. Um, you know, it was it was it, it got to a point though that comms were unworkable there for a period. You know, the last last message before we lost comms for a period of time there from the CO was 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 that he was confident in the decisions that, that I was making and, and that uh, he'd get to us as soon as we can. We didn't know when that would be. Um, so it was really <coughs> it was really just about keeping them abreast of where we were at and, and, and what I was thinking. And, 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 and right up until the point that we lost comms at, at that time, you know, I, I still was confident that, that our position was, was tenable, that uh, we, we, we had op uh, options 
and, and that we still had a, an extraction plan in place that we could use if needed. You spoke about the importance of uh, time spent forming uh, the team and it sounds like over there you're putting out a lot of spot fires as they were happening. Uh, were there any specific critical training that the soldiers received prior to the deployment um, that uh, really helped or anything that you think uh, could have helped uh, prior to deployment that you may have conducted? Another great question. Look, I think, you know, on top of the tough training program and exercise program that we did undertake, we, we did a very limited force uh, uh, preparation piece and mission-specific training. There was none of that in those days. Uh, that, that is, that's something that's, that's been evolved over time. And I think that, you know, the, the, it got a bit too far um, developed there a few years ago and it came back off a little bit. The last time I went through it in 2019, I think we were, we were pretty much on the board for it. So, so that's a great ad. I think, you know, if we, if we had that in hindsight, if we had an opportunity to have concentrated the whole element uh, to, to go through some scenarios and, 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 and response and, and training in that environment, in a controlled uh, environment uh, overseen by a, a, a brilliant organisation like CTC, that would have been, you know, that would have put us in even better stead. Um, but, but we didn't have that. And, and I think, again, that's something that's, that we've learned over time and it's a, and it's, it's a great ad. Um, for the soldiers specifically, I, I would say that that, that great training and, and, and tough exercise regime that we were in presented opportunities for them to operate individually. And, 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 and in, in fact, the section commanders always uh, looked for opportunities for individuals to step up and take, take the lead in different activities. Um, I, I can I can clearly recall <coughs> one such occasion on a Swift Eagle up in in, in Weeper uh, the year before, where where we had a task as an enemy uh, activity to infiltrate the town of Weeper and and, and seize the Humbug Humbug Wharf, and and uh, I think yeah Brian will remember this clearly, but we didn't have anything. We we were, we were dropped um, about a hundred hundred k's out from the 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 uh, town, and we're told to get in there and do the serial and and. Um, we made a decision as a group, trusting the, the, the skill sets of the, the individual soldiers to break up into groups of two uh, with no communications and, and, and give that sort of responsibility to the individual soldiers uh, in those small team groups to, to move themselves and infiltrate and then and, and into a, a, a predetermined RV where we would reset as a platoon to undertake the platoon activity that we'd been given. And you know, there's a lot of risk associated with that. And today, perhaps it wouldn't pass the 60 minutes test, but it could if you did the right work. And 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 uh, you know, that, that responsibility was put back on each and every soldier. They are all expected to be responsible enough to do uh, and undertake actions on their own. And 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 is something as significant as a as a, an, a night move as well across you know, uh, uh, you know, 30 or 40 kilometre infill route to do an RV at a predisposed RV point, you know, that, that sort of stuff really brought them along. But yeah, and the other pieces were any, any chance we had to, to get, you know, brilliant at the basics. We did a lot of shooting. We did a lot of um, uh, field craft work. Uh, we didn't, didn't have a lot of resources in those days either. Or even, you know, it was quite limited, even as an online battalion, you'd get to fight for them. But, but there was other things that were able to be done. And, and each section commander, you know, might pay lip service to it a little bit, but but that these guys did. They had soldiers' fives that were were, were in their Buey Tui in their back pocket, and any opportunity to 
to continue to work on that. Um, you know, there's a lot of work done around the the, um, the private P proficiency, and then we also had ODF, RDF proficiency requirements there as well that were, were tested uh, regularly. So, you know, it, it, um, all of that added to to, to preparing that. Yeah, all everyone in the course on the right way. Um, I, I guess the other thing I'd say is that um, you know, often I've, I've run into over the last few years that that. Uh, Checking uh, is micromanaging. That's something that I, that I hate to hear. Checking is not mate, 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 uh, micromanaging. Checking is, is good leadership. And it's an insurance that, that, that standards are being set and met. And, and that's something that I think that, yeah, was done very well across the board as well. There was an understanding of what the standard was and it was checked and it was checked regularly. And, 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 uh, and that was just part of doing business. It wasn't you know, individuals feeling as though someone was looking and in their pack too often or looking at their skill sets too often. It was about, hey, the standards there, you know what it is, I'm going to check and make sure you meet it. Do you think there were deficiencies in your training, is that right? Uh, yeah, do you think there was anything that could have assisted? Yeah. Um, well, when I reflect back as a section commander, what, what Colonel Tool was saying is 100% correct. I mean, when I look at the brigade today, you have opportunities that we didn't have but there are similar, there's, there's a lot of similarity between the brigade in 1995 and today, to be quite honest with you. Um, so we did Maxi Beagle and Swift Eagle. You do a warfighter, you do Tales and Sabre. Um, the big opportunities are there. But you got, as a section commander, you have to take every opportunity you're given to train. You can't sit back and think you're trained because you're never trained. You've always got to train. Every opportunity you're presented with, you have to make the most of it. If I could go back to 995 or 994, what would I do? I'd do more first aid training. I mean, we were training first aid. I knew how to treat sucking chest wound. I knew how to treat hemorrhaging. I knew how to treat broken legs. I could put a tourniquet on. I didn't have a tourniquet. I, I was taught how to do it with a sling. Um, but I wish I had had more training. And I wish my section had had more training. Um, in Rwanda, we spent some of our rotation was uh, the task of the hospital, the security of the hospital, there was the front gate of the hospital above the dental unit and there was a back gate uh, near the morgue and the surgery. And then the third task at the hospital for the rest section was to be orderlies. And you were working in research, you were working in the operating theatre, you were working in ICU, or you were bashing Dixies. Um, no one liked to bash Dixies, but every soldier wanted to work in ICU because they were taught skills in there that were, that were very, very useful for us. Um, a lot of guys like to work in the, uh, in the operating theatre. I don't know why, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, you did a lot of stuff in the operating theatre that was not, not, you were not trained as an infantry soldier to do, but you were learning things all the time. Um, that rotation we did just before going to Cabello was actually quite handy. But first aid training was the one thing I don't think we were good at. Everything else I think we were really good at. We were good at shooting, we were good at navigation, we were confident in our decision-making processes. Um, our signalers were excellent communicators. Um, my driver was an excellent driver. He knew how to maintain our vehicle. He knew how to get us to across most routes, except when they were piled high 12 with bodies. That was the only thing he couldn't handle, but we were trained well. First aid training is where I'd love to have been better at. That'd be my point. And I, just, I just add to that, I think just one is that um, you've got to give time for people to train and that's the consideration. So. As, as Buzz pointed out there, you know, the sections took every opportunity and, and, and uh, you know, as a platoon commander and then as a company commander or CSM or 
platoon sergeant, you need to allow your call sign time to do that. So, you know, not everything needs to be a company activity. Uh, not, not everything needs to be a platoon activity. You need to give time for the, the section commanders and the group commanders to do their own stuff as well. And that, that's really important. Hey, sir, Sarge Perkins again. Um, just wanted to touch on, based on what you were saying, you didn't feel like you were directly threatened by the Rwandan forces while you're there. But during the time when those sort of first massacre was occurring, when uh, the refugees were trying to escape, uh, how did you cope personally and across your team and sort of debrief afterwards, uh, given your limited ROE and the scope of your mission was obviously there to protect um, the medical personnel and not to protect the refugees? How did you sort of cope with that? And do you have any instances within your team where people were looking to go outside of their ROE to you know, pretty much stop, stop the massacre from occurring, but then obviously putting your own team at, at risk? Yeah, so mate, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. It's one that's been pulled apart by academics for, for the last 20, 20 plus years. So um, it, it, it's, whilst I said we didn't, it wasn't direct threats from the RPA initially, that did change. And, and there, was, there was threatening posture. And, and in fact, we did, we were fired upon by them a, a number of times and, 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 and got in, in, in between the crossfire between them and the Interahamwe a number of times. So yeah, that, that position did change significantly. Um, you know, I've, I've maintained for, for, for a long time, mate, that the, the, the ROE that we had uh, allowed us to respond. It allowed us to respond. It was sufficient enough threat there that we could have opened fire on, on uh, any number of parties. However, the situation didn't allow it to occur. You've got to understand, we, we, on the ground, I had Brian Buskell's section uh, I had a, a small SAS team that had come in as, as a medical support element that had been flown in on one of the last helos, three blokes. I had a medical team, a SIG and a couple of drivers. And, and, and there was upwards of, of, of uh, two regiments of RPA surrounding us in that camp. Uh, and there was any untold number of Interahamwe that were operating in and out of the camp. So um, we, we were significantly outmatched. And, and I, I knew that, and I knew that uh, pretty clearly. Um, Dolly Roach used to used to say that you know, he gave the, the the order for us to not fire. I, I don't recall that. I I always left it open on the ground as to individuals making that that assessment. If they needed to, they could. But I knew that if we did, you'd you'd be probably memorialising all of us right now. Um, we wouldn't have won that fight. We would have given it a bloody good crack, but we wouldn't have won that fight. Um, so, so that it gets back to you know, the ROE being the right ROE and the force structures and, and whatnot being correct. But, but it's to say how, how does that absolutely, you know, to a man in that group, the frustrations and, 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 and the, the, the mixed emotions around um, mostly in reflection uh, times after, after the incident, it, it's been very difficult. It's caused um, any number of, of, of psychological issues for the members participating down there. We've lost a lot of good men to, 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 to psychological issues. Uh, and, and, and those psych issues are going on to this day. Um, and that, and that's, that's wrestling with, 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 with the, the thought of being uh, perhaps restricted or, or not being able to do what, sh what could have been or should have been done. 
and, and, but I'll challenge anyone to that, to, to a man, every one of those individuals on the ground that day uh, did everything they possibly could to, to negate the situation. I, I sort of mentioned it before, we didn't get into too many details, but I saw every one of my team uh, put themselves, expose themselves to stop things that were going on, uh, just through bluff, through, through uh, putting themselves between individuals who were firing on unarmed civilians uh, and firing back into groups of, of people who had inter harm way uh, uh, tied into them. I saw them do that, expose themselves, move into the area and, and stop that firing occur. I, I saw them huddle over indiv injured individuals and protect them from others. Uh, I saw them disarm individuals when they, when they got the opportunity to do that. Um, we did use escalation of force where we could um, and shots were fired from the compound, albeit but not from our guys, from the from the Zambians that were, were in location, and potentially mostly not when we were there. But the um, the bayonet was used. Uh, other other uh, we didn't have batons or proper proper equipment in those days. We used to carry around big hunks of, of hose and and fill them with sand and, and other sticks uh, that the boys had fashioned into um, uh, people control uh, tools. They were used, um, and, and, but they, to a man, appreciated the situation and understood the seriousness of that, that next e escalation. So uh, we did at times uh, get an instant and, 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 and draw uh, a, a, a sight picture on, on individuals, but that along, went along with a warning and, and, and with more bluff as someone else approached and walked forward and, and moved them on. But um, it's been difficult. it has been difficult, and an individual response to it has been difficult to manage, mate. Um, you know, it's it's. I'm I'm very comfortable with the decisions I've I made there. I'm very comfortable uh, with every action of, of of the individuals who are involved um, over there, and and any opportunity I do get to speak to any of them, I reaffirm that with them. Um, I guess the other piece was there was none of the the, the psych support that you see today uh, in place either, and 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 on on the post the incident, most of the debriefing was done ourselves, amongst ourselves. And we we're very fortunate to have, uh, you know, a great padre, who's all, it's always a great asset in a unit. And we had a fantastic senior nursing officer. And she and she had done some critical incident counselling uh, work. Uh, and, and Mary Brandy and the padre at the time came up and sat down with the lads and we did a, a full a full debrief in, in, that, in that sort of environment. And I think the goodness of doing that was that that uh, both Mary and, and the Padre, the lads, you know, all of us, including myself, saw them as part of our team. They'd been walking the same ground as us. They'd, 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 they'd done the lead up with us. They'd deployed together. And, and, and it was a very, um, you know, open, uh, honest debrief that was conducted in that, that environment. So much so that when, when uh, a site team was eventually pushed forward to, to do a debrief with the team, most of the lads didn't want to talk to them because they'd already done their, their talking with, with Mary and the Padre and the rest of the lads. Um, and, and, but that was made available to them at the time, but it was all still very new and, and, and developing. You know, the systems we've got in place now are, again, far, far, uh, far better developed and, and, and I think, you know, far more appropriate. Um, post the activity, I think the worst thing we ever did was, was break the platoon up uh, and break the company up. And, and, and that's a natural flow of any battalion. But I think if we had been able to keep the team together for, for another, another training turn, another year, uh, I think we would have um, probably caught 
a lot of the issues uh, in, in the right vein and been able to sort them out better. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. We all got we got broken up pretty much to the four winds and and you move onward and upward. But um, yeah, that's the one one regret that if I could have influenced more heavily, I would have I would have insisted. And I, I didn't have the power to, to, to do that at that stage, but it's something that I would consider very strongly now and in keeping a team together post a deployment like that, just for a, a training turn, just so you know everyone can keep an eye on each other. But yeah, Buzz, I don't know if you've got anything else you add on that, mate. I suppose, um, so there's two parts of your question, wasn't there? Was the part about the debrief? And what was the other part, sorry, mate? First part was just, yeah, uh, from the threat point. <laughs> right. Yeah, so the ROE, the ROE was, I don't know what people do know about the ROE, but it was quite open. I could protect the soldier standing next to me, I could protect the, the UN guy working with me, and I could protect the IDP. Um, I made a conscious decision. Oh, so, so go back one, sorry. When we got into Cabello 2, we were at load. We were only at load. I took them to action and I took a couple of guys to instant. Um, a couple of guys went to instance. You know, we fixed bayonets a lot that day. Well, once we fixed bayonets once and left them on all day. Um, we used our bayonets quite effectively. You know, we used our butt of our rifle very effectively. Um, and yeah, we were shot at, but I knew if I had gave a fire control order, I would not be standing here today, I'd not be a father. I knew that. I, maybe I knew it from reading a lot of history. Maybe I knew it from talking to my dad, who was a World War II veteran. Uh, maybe I knew it from talking with the boss and platoon sergeant about just about being a soldier. But had we opened fire, we'd all be dead. And countless more refugees would be dead as well. I mean, I don't know if you know how many people died in that refugee camp, but the other section camera, myself, Jake Blake, we stopped counting at 4,500 with our counter. We stopped counting at 4,500 refugees. I know there were so many more, okay? Um, so yeah, the, the ROE was good enough for us to do our job, but we made a, I made a pretty conscious decision not to give a fire control order that day. I, I gave a few orders to uh, butt strokes and people, and I, t I physically told my side to go and stand over there at times, and I knew what that could result in. But that's what we needed to do. Um, the debrief thing, it was really interesting. I remember getting back I remember getting all of our kit stripped off us, having these showers, hot showers for the first time because our showers weren't hot. Um, I remember having a crap breakfast. I remember getting told we can go to bed, but we've got to get up at dawn because it's Anzac Day and I was frustrated. I remember getting told, hey, after Anzac Day, you're going on guard on the front gate and I was frustrated again because all I wanted to do was go to sleep. But that <coughs> night, we were taken up into the mess, the officer's mess, and yes, there was an officer's mess where they sold drinks over in Rwanda and we were debriefed, and it was a section, it was platoon commander, um, Sig Quinn was with us. I don't remember the name of the nurse, but the boss does, the padre was there, and we just had a discussion about what we'd been through in the last week. And it was very, very open. Um, some of the guys thought, I remember walking up there, one of, my, one of the guys, J Jason uh, Honeyman, was saying, hey, I'm not gonna say anything, I don't wanna embarrass myself. I said, what are you gonna be embarrassed about, mate? There's nothing to be embarrassed about, because I do not regret a single decision I made that day. I don't second guess a single decision I made that day. Because I know I did the right thing. And I know every one of those soldiers and the boss and Sig Quinn and Captain Vaughan Evans's crew all made the right decisions because we're all alive. So yeah, it was the best debrief I've ever had. But the debriefs we had now are really good too. So yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. Thanks very much.
right. Uh, so, so Perkins stole uh, the question I was going to ask. I was going to ask it in a different way. Uh, we've got time for one more question, and I'm going to pose it. So, um, what were you most afraid of on the 22nd of April, 1995? And what did it feel like? And how did you conquer your fear? Yeah, good, good, good. it's a really good question, Tom. Um, I think above all, what what I feared the most through the whole uh, deployment, but specifically on the on the twenty second, was was losing a soldier. Um, you know, I, I we, because we were we were we were thin, and 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 I knew the situation was critical. Um, I, I knew our lads would be responding the right way, and and but 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 you know, there was events there that you just can't control, and so you know, I, I guess the most most concern there was around that. Um, I knew what our response to that would be, and, and as Brian just spoke to, I knew, I knew what the, outs, the outcome of that would be. So uh, as a call sign, but that didn't that didn't worry me. We had a plan, you know, and we had a plan that that if if if, if we were going to make that final call, we knew what we, how we were going to do it, and we knew that that it it had, you know we'd do it to the best of our ability, um, and then hopefully someone would probably write about it later, but. Um, it, it, so, so there was more about that 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 an individual, you know, in, in my call sign or, or those in the care that we'd been put there to place, I think was the, the greatest fear. Um, but but again, I think that's a very individual thing, Tom. I, I you know haven't talked to others uh, around it. Um, that there's different different emotions set with that. I, I was not a married man at the time, and I didn't have children. I think that had changed things. You know that w w there might have been some more fear about perhaps. Um, you know, not seeing them again, or not 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 having an opportunity around that. But um, but but I, I didn't ever fear any failure. I didn't fear making a decision. I didn't fear that we weren't doing the right thing. Um, I just you know there, there was that that, that piece around uh, around you know just not being able to affect an individual situation at the, at a certain place in time where I might. Might have, you know, might lose a soldier, um, but but I guess you know what what I what I focused on uh, was 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 different activities and what was the most you know, critical thing that needed doing at the time, uh, and that changed through the day many times. Um, I guess that gets the first one. You just hit the second part of that question again, Tom. It's sort of slipped out now. So, um, uh, thanks for your great response, Steve. Uh, 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 I was thinking throughout uh, presentations in the years since uh, uh, we were lieutenants that I wonder what uh, such and such was most afraid of. Uh, and uh, so now I've heard you a great response to that. Um, I can stop wondering about you and start wondering about other people. But the second part was uh, uh, how you actually conquered uh, conquer the fear. You said uh, uh, that uh, you were busy doing stuff. Um, uh, uh, so mm -hmm. I, I guess you've uh, answered uh, that unless you, you've got uh, more to offer. Yeah, look, I, I think, um, 
you know, it, it's it's about doing that, mate. It's about really focusing on the priority that you've got right in front of you. And and, and the fear doesn't go away. I don't think that that went went away. I, I can't recall ever fearing for, for, for my own self. Um, I knew that w- w- I was making some decisions and doing some stuff, and all of the team were that were were probably well well worth a, a, a consideration around that. But um, it was it stayed it stayed there. But I th- you know just staying focused on the on the task at hand and getting to where it needs to be. I will say that once once the team um, the relief team did get down to us. And, and, you know, I think it was probably across the board, but this is a very personal um, reflection. Um, you know, once the company Tyce got down there, uh, Twit McMahon arrived with some, some additional uh, FE and, and capacity. It, it sort of allowed us to stand off the task a little bit. This is some days later, you know, the, the 24th-ish when we were, and then relieved. But um, when I did stop, I sat down and I can't recall, and I think Quinn was one of them and there was a couple of other fellas sitting with me and we, we, we made a brew. And it was the first hot brew that we'd had for some time in location there. And uh, and I had my own smokes this day, mate. I lit a cigarette and and, and sat down and, and actually sat down and, and had a hot brew. And, 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 and that's when then, you know, my physical reaction commenced and, and, I, and I, I, you know, there was a shake. I was, you know, it's like an adrenaline dump had come off and it was just a, yeah, it was only for 20 minutes. It, it, it happened, and 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 I, and I took that time just to have a hot brew and a durry, and then and then I was right again, and we were back onto the next task, which was getting back to Cabello. But um, you know, it wasn't. I didn't consciously have to tackle the fear. I, you know, it was there. I knew, knew there's. You know, if it was going to happen, I probably didn't have anything. I couldn't do anything about it if it was going to happen. It was about how we would react and about how how we could act before that to 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 try and to limit that. Um, all right, so that's all, that's all we've got time for um, uh, uh, for this lecture. So uh, on behalf of the audience here, which includes uh, junior officers, junior NCOs and senior NCOs, uh, I'd like to thank you for availing yourself and uh, talking about... Uh, the events of uh, 20 some years ago uh, and uh, doing so in, in such a, a massively emotional yet informative way. Um, uh, we've had many discussions over the years uh, and I was hoping uh, for this lecture to go go off like, like it did. So thanks for uh, uh, giving of yourself um, and uh, and educating us and in time educating uh, viewers on the cove about the, these events that happened a long time ago because we've recently deployed the ready combat team from one RER to Afghanistan to conduct a non-combatant evacuation operation. And uh, you were right, uh, there's differences, but essentially uh, three brigade is similar to uh, our time in uh, the early nineties here. Uh, Certainly uh, their deployment was into a scene reminiscent of uh, what you encountered 
uh, Kibayo and Kigali and all the other places in Rwanda and all the other places uh, you've served in operationally since. And I remember thinking back, uh, having caught up with the uh, uh, lieutenants from that outfit, but uh, uh, I want to compare the experiences that uh, you had compared to the experiences they had in similar situations. On behalf of the audience, thanks for forearming us um, uh, with, with knowledge if we're yet to experience uh, operational deployment. Um, it's, a, it's something that you can only prepare for and then uh, uh, when you're actually there, you probably know all about it and you've gone a long way towards uh, educating us in that. So, on behalf of the audience, I'd like you to, uh, oh, the audience, I'd like you to thank uh, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Stephen Tilbrook, MG, and my wife, Dr. Narelle Biederman, and the Brigade RSM warrants a class one bus.